excited about today. I haven't uh, preached in a long time, and this is actually the first time I'm streaming live, and so I'm really excited about that, and a lot of new things happening for me, as, uh, as perhaps they are for you. I'd like to, first of all, talk about relationships. Cindy just mentioned a bunch of relationships that we have, family, uh, friends, and so we, relationships are very important not only because uh, we do that every day, in every situation, we go to the store and we relate to other people, we see friends that we know, we have family that we sometimes don't get along with. Uh, relationships are very important. But also, relationships feed into how we see ourselves. The closer the relationship, the more important it is in how we see ourselves. For example, if a father or mother tells their kids that they're no good from day one, they'll probably end up no good. If they praise them in a real way from day one, they'll probably grow up feeling good about themselves. So relationships are, are important. The problem is that nobody ever teaches us how to do relationships, and yet they're so important. If we do them good, then we'll probably be okay. But if we don't get them, if we don't get relationships, then we'll have trouble in our life. We pick them up. We pick uh, the teaching about relationship up as we go along in life. For example, we go to the store. And nobody tells us about the guy behind the meat counter that will help us get a piece of meat that we want. Nobody tells us about the stock boy that is putting things on the shelf. He can tell us where things are. Nobody tells us about the cashier, cashier that will help us check out. We catch all that on the fly. And we finally realize what these relationships are like. Same with family. Same with family. Remember, you have to ki kiss Aunt Helen. Remember, you have to share your toys and a thousand other things that we might catch on the fly, but no one really sits us down and explains to us how relationships work. Um, the, we also have expectations. A lot of people, when they get married, expect their spouse to make them happy. And when it doesn't happen, they're ready for divorce. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, I didn't marry, uh, the, I, I, I married the person that uh, I didn't date. They're, they're, they're different. And I say, yeah, they're, they're now your husband or now your wife. It's a completely different person. Relationship really can be defined as who are you and who is the other person. Now that might seem real, real easy, but it just can be very complicated. Who are you, for example? Uh, that includes your age, your gender, your ethnicity, your family of origin, perhaps the language you speak, how high you are, how overweight or underweight you are. It can be a thousand different things about who you are. For example, I had seven sisters. I was a brother to seven sisters. So when I am around women, I'm comfortable with women. Now, that doesn't mean I understand them. 
but at least I'm comfortable with them. And I had to tell my, my grandson, who has a brother, a father and a mother, of course, that he's going to have trouble, perhaps, feeling comfortable around girls because he only has his brother, his father, and, of course, his mother, but they're not girls, right? I was in a store the other day, and uh, I was working with a, a guy, and he had an accent. And so it allowed me to ask him, well, where are you from? And he was from France. And we had a great conversation about what was happening in France, what was happening in his life. But it was only because he was different. He had a different perspective than I did. And so that goes into how you see yourself. I know I'm, I'm 75. Can you believe it? I'm 75. I can't believe it. And I share a different perspective than my nine-year-old grandkid. You know, that all goes into how you see yourself. The problem, though, when we ask the question, who am I, is that we have a subconscious mind that we don't know about. And sometimes that's good. We can teach our subconscious mind. For example, when we type, we don't have to eventually search for the letters. Now, sometimes my hands get all messed up, but if I really work at it, I don't really have to think about where the A is or the B is. That's my subconscious mind. We all learned how to walk, and that was part of our subconscious mind. We don't have to think about it. But there are also things in our subconscious mind that we might learn wrong as a child. As we go pick up things about relationships, sometimes we get it wrong. Perhaps we have parents that fight or abuse one another. Perhaps we have brothers and sisters who we don't get along with. And so we make these subconscious judgments. And when we get older in life, we use that truth, so to speak, to regulate our reactions to others. The other question we have to ask in relationships is, who is that other person? For example, you have restaurant servers. You have sisters and brothers. You have classmates and other people. You have bosses. You have supervisors. They have service people. There are thousands of other people out there, and you have to ask the question, who are they? If it's a, a service person, you go and you expect them to serve you. I was at Menards the other day, and I was looking for something. And I knew it. if I found an employee, they could quickly tell me where the, the item was. And so I saw somebody in a, a, a bright yellow vest, and I walked up to him and I said, do you work here? And he said, no. Well, then I, I knew that I couldn't expect him to show me what I wanted. I had to find somebody else. We also use titles to represent our relationships, but we really don't think about it much. We use the term wife, father, mother, stranger, boss, uh, enemy, uh, and we have ex unspoken expectations of each one. And I think it's important that we understand our expectations, especially towards God. And that's really what I'm down, going to be down about today. I have five requirements of a relationship that not only can apply to one another, but also to God. The first requirement is that you have to believe 
that the person exists. Our scripture for today is found in Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to uh, me to you. So the first, the first thing God wants Moses to realize is that he exists. I am. And Jesus played off that. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. And that bothered some people because he was equating himself with God. Also in, uh, in Hebrews 11.6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We have to seek God. We have to seek God. So we have to recognize, the first requirement is that we have to recognize that a person exists. If you didn't think I existed... You wouldn't, you wouldn't relate to me. And that's a requirement. You have to re- realize um, that the person exists. I had a high school friend, and, and this high school friend really liked a girl. And she was pretty, she was smart, she was funny and all that. And, uh, and he came to me one day and he said, I really like her, but she doesn't know I exist. Well... What he's saying is basically there's no hope for my relationship with her. I used to be a, a, a camp administrator, and when I, before I went to camp, I made sure that I, I memorized all the names of, of the kids that were going to be there, and, uh, and, and so I could greet them. And so I saw Joe coming down the path, and I said, Hi, Joe, how you doing? Now, this is a junior hire. And he just walked right on by. You know, junior hires, adults don't exist, I don't think. You know, he didn't recognize that uh, I existed. An atheist can't have a relationship with God because they refuse to recognize that God exists. I've heard, though, that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer in God. The bottom line is, is that if you don't recognize God, God's existence, you won't have a relationship. It's as simple as that. But how about believers? One thing about relationships is if you have two people that are close to each other, the one thing you'll eventually have is conflict, right? I mean, we can't always agree. We're going to have different perspectives, different opinions, uh, different answers. And in my relationship with my wife, she finally realized that I'm always right. No. <laughs> you laugh. But there's conflict in relationship. And that's the same as it is with God. The Bible is rife with people that had spiritual conflict, not necessarily with Satan, but also with God. A good example is in Matthew 16, where Peter, or or Jesus, excuse me, where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of living God. And then Jesus went on to tell the the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die. 
And when Peter heard that, he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, that will never happen to you. And what did, what did uh, Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. We have to realize that we sometimes has, have expectations of God that seem very logical to us, very theological, and yet that's not what God wants. That's not what God does in his sovereignty. And so we have conflict with God. And when we have conflict of God, with God, we have a tendency not to believe that God exists. Does he really exist? I mean, if I were God, I would do things much differently, right? And a lot of times, that's what we tell ourselves. The action point that we have to have is that we have to really make sure that we research, that we dig in and answer the questions that we have about God so that we realize without a shadow of doubt, no matter what happens, God exists. For me, and it might be different for you, but I like to take pictures of flowers. And I open those pictures, and I look at the detail, and all of a sudden I get this feeling about God. The, the creation of this flower is just amazing to me and calls me to worship God. The second requirement is that the person has to be a personality. Now, for example, I, I, I might believe this podium exists, but it doesn't, it's not a personality. I can't relate to it. I can't ask it questions. I could, but it doesn't answer. But also, uh, there are a new age movement out there or, or other movements out there that says that God is a power or a force, like electricity in the wind. But I can't relate to electricity. I can't ask it questions. It just is. I'm glad it is. But I can't interact with it. I can't be loved by it. I can't be struggling with it. I can't pray to it. It just is. So God has to be a personality. And we have to realize that electricity or a force, you can't interact with it. And it's important that God is a personality. The God of the Bible is a personality. Jesus had a personality. His, his disciples walked with him and talked with him and, and ate with him. So God has to be a personality. He has to be more than a power or a force. Uh, um, also, a personality has a will, has a desire, has things that they want to see happen, and that's God. He wants to see people love him so that he can love them back, or I should say he loves people so that they will love him back. God loves you, and the, uh, the God of the Bible is a personality. So we need to approach God as a personality. In Romans 8.15, it says we approach God as not Heavenly Father, but Daddy, Abba. And we need to approach God that way when we're with him alone. The third requirement is that there has to be a way to interact with a person. 1 Corinthians 2.10 and 11 the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of God except the man, uh, the Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot be expressed. So, I know President Biden exists. I know that he's a personality, but there's really no way for, for us to communicate. And so we can't have a relationship. I might send him an email, but I get this uh, form letter back. <laughs> I can't talk to him. I might call him on the phone, but I get a secretary who screens calls. So there's no way I can get to know President Biden. So, but in order to have a relationship, you have to communicate on a regular basis. As believers in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit to help us do that, as our scripture says. The Holy Spirit guides us and help us, helps us know God's will. As we open our spirits to God's spirit, we enter into a child, father-child relationship. So we need to pray and seek the Holy Spirit every minute of every day in order to have a relationship with God. The fourth requirement is that there has to be an understanding of how to define the relationship. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. In Luke 22, 20, it says, In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In order to have a relationship with anyone, we have to have an understanding of how the relationship works, the expectations, uh, uh, the honoring, or, or where this relation fits. So if we're with a service person, they, we know that they're supposed to serve us. They're supposed to do certain things. If we're with our uh, spouse, we know that that relationship is very important, different than a service person, for sure. <laughs> I can get into trouble with that one uh, if I just see my wife as a servant. Uh, so that is different as well. So what are the rules? What are the boundaries that we look for in a relationship? How do we define them? Um, well, I lost my place. Uh, God wants a covenant relationship with us. A covenant relationship with us. Now, what is a covenant? To the world out there, it's an agreement. You fulfill this and I'll do this. And that's the way it was with the Ten Commandments. God said, if you do these things, you're going to be my people. And we know where that hap what, the, what happened with that one. It didn't work. Uh, the way believers look at it is that it's more than agreement. It's a relationship that we enter into. Believers, we must work at our understanding of covenant relationship. Uh, God is a binding relationship of love and trust. Marriage is to be that kind of relationship. It's not one where uh, I earned her into this relationship so that I can be happy. That might be part of it. Hopefully it is. 
But that's not really why I got married. It's a covenant relationship between my wife and I and God so that I could fulfill God's will. And no matter what happens, and a lot of things have happened in 53 years, uh, I'm still in a covenant relationship with her. Sometimes she doesn't love me. Sometimes I don't love her. But a covenant is not based on how we feel. It's based on the agreement that's deep inside. Matter of fact, I believe that the way to really be set free and what God wants is so that we're so much in a covenant relationship with him that we change. It changes who we are deep down inside. I know if I haven't had, hadn't changed as husband, I probably wouldn't be married today. <laughs> but a deep covenant relationship is meant to change who you are on a deep level. An example of a covenant in the Old Testament is when David made a covenant with Jonathan because that made King Saul his father. Now, the problem that, Jesus, that David faced is that he was a shepherd. Shepherds don't become kings. It just isn't the procedure that they followed back then. Instead, sons became kings. So Prince Jonathan was the one who was in line for the throne after King Saul. But it, because he made a covenant with uh, David, David was now in, uh, qualified to be king. It's the same way with us. We have made a covenant with Jesus so that we can be called children of God. So that's what a covenant does for us. And we rely on the blood of Christ to put us in that kind of relationship. A covenant does not rely on circumstances. A covenant does not rely on our feelings. A, doesn't, uh, a covenant doesn't rely on our disappointment or confusion. We are in a covenant relationship with God, and it changes who we are no matter what happens. So we need to pursue the covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm still working on that one. And I think it's a lifelong process of understanding our relationship with God and God changing us into his children. The fifth requirement, and this might seem obvious, is that in order, in order to have a relationship, you have to want it. You have to want it. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. And Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you are heavy, weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you don't want a relationship with God, he invites you to have one but he won't force you. The reason why God put a, a, a tree of, of knowledge of good and evil in the garden is so that Adam, Adam and Eve would have a choice, a choice between the tree or God. That gave them the freedom to love God or reject God. It was part of their will of whether they entered into that, that relationship. And so it is with us. God has invited us through Jesus Christ to enter into a special relationship with, with him called the covenant. 
You can't have love without a choice. God will not force his covenant upon you, and we must accept God's invitation to join him. So, the action point is that you have to want a relationship with God. It's more than a friendship. It's more than an acquaintance. It's a covenant, and we have to pursue that. So if you'd now stand and pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're inviting us into this relationship with you. And Father, some of us might hesitate to give our all to you because that's what a covenant requires. But Father, I pray that we see your love through Jesus Christ and enter in that covenant and eventually become new people. I thank you for the opportunity of sharing this word and I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will draw a connection between me and those that have heard it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we close today, I just ask everyone just to bow your heads. How many of you would say that uh, you have not been thinking about your relationship with God in the way that uh, Pastor Ted has just uh, let us uh, hear about in the word. How many of you would say you need to really understand more about what that relationship is and commit your heart a little more to understanding God and how he works in your life? If you want to say that's you, just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Lord God, we do thank you for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you use your word to accomplish your will in our hearts. Lord God, we want to be in the best relationship with you that's possible. Lord, help us to understand more about you, about your personality, about your desire for us. Help us understand the power of that covenant relationship that we have in you, the power that that gives each of us. Lord God, I thank you that we can trust you with our whole heart, with our whole life. Lord God, help us to walk this out in Jesus' name. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.